Scripture says Jesus is speaking here. And he says this in Matthew 7, 16, that ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And then verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. You may be seated. I'm going to talk to us tonight about the marks of a disciple. The marks of a disciple. A number of years ago, it's hard to believe, but it's been almost 40 years now that the monetary system of the United States, they wanted to um, incorporate a female presence um, in their money. You know, because if you looked at money, bills, and coins, they had presidents on their coins, some of the, maybe a founder or two, one of our founding fathers, but there wasn't any female presence in our money. So about 40 years ago, the late 70s, they came up with this Susan B. Anthony dollar. Um, you know, I'm sure most all of you know what a Susan B. Anthony dollar is. Does anybody here by chance have a Susan B. Anthony dollar with you here at church? The reporter's checking. probably got a toothpick and a safety pin and a band-aid and a lot of other things in that wallet no Susan B. Anthony well that's okay I'm not I'm not surprised because the Susan B. Anthony dollar obviously never took off and never gained traction because uh, basically because it was the size of a quarter it was actually only two millimeters larger than a quarter and so whenever the U.S. Mint they started making these coins um you know, people just didn't see the need of having them. And so, um, you know, you could, I don't know if, yeah, I do have a dollar bill. You could pull out a dollar bill. You didn't really need a dollar coin. You could just use a dollar bill. And a lot of people just had trouble distinguishing between a quarter and a Susan B. Anthony dollar. So they just opted not to use it because it just looked so much like a quarter. And so they just minted those for about two or three years and they, they quit making them all together. I know later they started making these gold dollar coins, gold color dollar coins, and I'm not sure if they're still doing those or not. They were when I was still working at the bank, but I don't know about now. But I got to thinking about money, and money has distinguishing marks that identify what money is. So, for example, I brought a few coins with me tonight, and I brought some of my silver dollars, and a silver dollar, if you pick up a silver dollar, it has distinguishing marks on it that identifies it as such. Um, All of the modern silver dollars, they have President Dwight D. Eisenhower on them. Um, I know you can get some older ones, and I have a few older ones in my bank lockbox. They're made of silver, but they have different character on there. I think they have Lady Liberty on them. But silver dollars, basically now, they have Dwight D. Eisenhower on them, and um, I have a couple of 50-cent pieces in here, too. And who's on a 50-cent piece? Did I hear Kennedy? 
what year? Well, these are 68 and 74. JFK, right? Um, and actually, the 68 coin that I have up here with me, it's, I think it must be partially silver because when you drop it like on a desk or something, it has a different clink than the 74. But you know it's a silver dollar, you know it's a half dollar because it has JFK on it and because it has the eagle on the back and the size of it. So the silver dollar is a different size than the 50 cent piece. I don't have any quarters because all my quarters go to Aubrey's laundry fund. And so we don't, you know, she needs those for school. But I do have a nickel and I have a dime in here somewhere. I have a penny and the dime is too small. But my point is, is that all of these coins are identifiable because of their size and who's on them and the shape of them, and the same with a dollar or a $5 bill or a $20 bill. You know it's a $1 bill because it has George Washington on it. You know it's a 5 because it has Lincoln, and a 20 has Jackson. A 50 has Grant. Good job. You probably got a lot of 50s, don't you, brother? Now tell me who's on 100. Benjamin Frank, yeah, those Benjis. We like those. Um, all right, here's another quiz for you. Who's on a $500 bill? I have seen a couple of $500 bills in my years of working at the bank. Unfortunately, I never had enough $500 to to buy one of them. Anybody know who was on a $500 bill? McKinley? You're going to Google it? You can Google a $1,000 bill while I'm talking. Who's on a $1,000 bill? A guy named Cleveland, Grover Cleveland. So anyway, there's there's your quiz for tonight. But each bill has identifying characteristics. We had a coin counter at the bank, the last bank I worked at, we had a coin counter, and it had a tray on the top of it, and people would bring their coins into the bank, and they, you know, we would take that bucket or that tub of coins, and we'd dump it out on that tray and spread it out, and it would, the coin would start falling down in this funnel, and it would spin around this thing, and the co- different coins would drop down in the different slots, and it would count how much money was in there. Um, if, but a lot of times when people brought their coins into the bank, they had foreign objects in their coin buckets. They had, they had buttons and washers and foreign coins. And, and sometimes you might find a little piece of jewelry or a piece of fuzz that came out of their pocket. One of those things. They, you know, there was just no telling what you might find in um, that coin. And so, um, but that machine had the ability to distinguish what was real and what was not real. And if it wasn't, if it was a washer, it would kick it down in this other little box that, um, you know, just separated all the non-coins and had the ability because there are distinguishing marks. And the same is true of Christians. There are distinguishing marks of a Christian. Jesus talked a lot about them in his teachings. You can go through the word of the Lord, you can go through the the teachings of Jesus, and he, he talked about things like attitude, spirit. What's our attitude? What's our spirit? Jesus talked about it. You can read Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus talked about those. He talked about us being salt, about us being light. He talked about the things that we would say. He said that was a distinguishing mark about what we would say. He said it's not what goes in a man that defiles a man, but what comes out of a person and because their heart is defiled and what comes out of that person defiles that person. But he talks about their speech. He talks about the eye, which is the gate of the soul. He talks about the heart and the ear. He talks about forgiveness, how that we ought to forgive. He talks about money. 
uh, possessions, giving, how we ought to treat money, our attitude toward money. Talks about praying, talks about fasting, all these things Jesus talks about. But Jesus lets us know that, that to be a follower, to be a child of God, is not something that just happens because we say it. It's not about something we just profess. You can't be a disciple in word only, Jesus said. But a true disciple is proven by the way that they live their life. A person can say anything. A person can put on any kind of a facade. A person can put it on any kind of an act. A hypocrite can be a quote-unquote Christian. But the proof is in how that they live their life. What's the fruit of it? By their fruits, Jesus said. By their fruits, he said, you will know them. He said, because grapes don't come from thorns and, and figs don't come from thistles. Every good tree, he said, brings forth good fruit. And a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. What is in our heart is eventually going to come out. Amen? What's on the inside? Fruit is determined by the root. What's on the inside is ultimately going to produce on the outside. And who a person really is, it's going to be revealed. I mean, people can only hide what's on the inside so long. Eventually it's going to come out. What's in their heart is going to come out their mouth. It's going to come out in their behavior. It's going to come out in their spirit. They, can only, they only can hide that down there for so long. But by their fruits, they can be a wolf in sheep's, sheep's clothing but eventually they will be revealed. It's interesting to read Moses' law and to look back into the Old Testament. And Moses, when he taught in the Scripture uh, the law that God had given him, 614 commandments, thou shalt and thou shalt not, and the, all the prohibitions and, the, and all the rules that were laid out in Moses' law. But Moses taught that the law was to be obeyed to the letter. You obey the commandments. Um, but then Jesus comes along, and Jesus teaches actually a, a higher standard, a higher law than Moses' law. Moses, the Bible says in John 1.17 that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And Moses' law, it revealed what was right and wrong. But here comes Jesus along. And Jesus talks about when you live your life, it needs to be for the proper, out of the proper motivation. You live your life out of what's going on in your heart. It's not just about following rules. And it's not just about thou shalt and thou shalt nots. But it really does matter what's below the surface. It really does matter what's in our heart. That's what the Lord was saying. And so he, he was... One, one, one example that Jesus gave us, he said, you've heard that thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus said, he said, but I say unto you, if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. And it's like Jesus just lifted the standard a whole lot higher. A lot of people try to talk about rules and legalism and all that stuff. And they even accuse Pentecostal people and apostolics of being legalists. We're not, we're not legalists. We're just doing what pleases the Lord. And it, and it has to be more than just a rule on a page. It needs to be in our heart today. And so there are marks that define who a child of God is. And to be a disciple of the Lord, it requires that we be sold out. If we're going to be a disciple of the Lord, 
We have to give it all that we have. Can't live for God. And I kind of talked, on, talked about this Sunday morning. We can't live for God halfway. We're going to live for God. It's, it's everything. It's, it's, it's all in. And, and Jesus said this. He said, if a, if a man come to me, this is Luke 14, 26, if you're taking notes. Jesus said, if a man come to me and he hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He said, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he said this, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Less happily after he hath laid the foundations not able to finish it, all that behold him, and all that behold him to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You count the cost. You go all in to be a follower of the Lord. It's not about a peripheral thing in our life. Living for God is not just something that we just add to our life. Living for God becomes our life. That makes sense? We have a lot of things that make up a part of our life. Our jobs, our hobbies, our activities. Those are just things in our life. Those are parts of our life. But living for God is the center of our life. Amen? It's what it's all about. It's, it's all in. And it's, and it's not just about starting out living for God. It's about finishing. It's about, it's about counting the cost, saying, I've got enough to go to the end of this deal. You know, it's like somebody said, some people buy in, but they never sell out. A lot of people like the feeling of the presence of the Lord. A lot of people like what they feel when they repent and come to the Lord. But the Lord says it's not just about starting this thing. It's about going all the way, selling out. It demands, it calls for everything that we have. I ran across a scripture some time ago in 2 Kings 17. And it says this in verse 41 of a group of people. Now listen to this. They feared the Lord and they served their graven images. This group of people, they feared the Lord, but they served their graven images. And, and, I, and I got to looking at that verse again, and I thought, you know, that's, that's, that's the testimony of so many today. It characterizes so many people today. They, they worship the Lord on Sunday, but they serve their other gods the rest of the week. They, they fear the Lord. They may come and they may lift their hands, but the other part of their life is filled with the worship of their, their idols, their graven images, as it says in that verse. It's a, it's a double-mindedness, the instability of their life. But tonight, I, I just want to talk to you here for a few more minutes about the marks of a disciple. The marks of a disciple. I'm not talking about the signs of a churchgoer. There's a lot of people that go to church. A lot of people connect or they're connected with the congregation. But you don't just go to church you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 31. I want you to look at this verse with me. If you have your Bibles, John 8, 31. Jesus said this to those Jews which believed on him. John 8, 31. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Jesus said a mark of a disciple 
is that you have a relationship with my word. Now just think about that. Let that sink in. A relationship with God's word. It's a, it's a mark. It's a birthmark of a child of God. That they, that they have a connection with that they have a connection with this book. You know, some people, when they're born, they have birthmarks. They have a spot on their skin, or they have some indicator on their body that they were born with, and the rest, the rest of their life, they had that spot. I'm not going to show this to you, but I have a spot, I have a mole behind my ear. And when I was younger, when I was a, not first born, but right after we were first born, me and my twin brother, People told us apart because I had this mole behind my ear. And my relatives would say, oh, Dirk's got a mole behind his ear. Let's see. And they walked up to my brother. Nope, that's not Dirk. There's no mole behind that ear. And they'd pull my ear back. I, I, I'm thankful people don't pull my ear back anymore. But that was a mark, and it's still there. And I still feel it every once in a while. But, but a, a mark of a Christian, is they have a relationship with this book. If you continue in my word, it's, it's retention, the retention of the word. Now, you know, a lot of people come to church, a lot of people hear sermons, a lot of people watch sermons online, they listen to the word, but they don't always retain it. Whenever we hear the word, but we don't do the word, we're not, we're not holding on to it, it's not becoming a part of us. It's whenever we hold on to the teachings of Jesus. When we hold on to the teaching, we remain faithful to this word. So to continue in the word is to retain the word. There's a lot of people that even receive the word, but they don't, they don't make it a part where it's a continual life change where it, it actually transformed their life. 2 Timothy 3.14, Paul told Timothy this, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So what I'm saying here today is that the word of God has to have a place in our life. It, that's a mark of a disciple. A dis, somebody that does not read the Bible, this may sound hard, but somebody that does not read the Bible is not a disciple of Jesus Christ. You say, who are you to make that judgment? That's not my call. That's, that's what Jesus is telling us. We have to have a relationship with this word. And when I say that, I mean beyond Sunday morning and beyond Wednesday night. That's, this, is, this is very, very important that we are in the word of the Lord. That we are having this intake of the word of God. But you know what happens? Sometimes people get too smart for the word. Sometimes people get too educated for the Word of God. They get a revelation or whatever. They lay aside certain aspects of the Word of the Lord. Here's what Paul said. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. What some people see as wisdom, God sees it as, as foolishness. And, and, you know, we don't need to get carried away with man's wisdom. We don't need to get carried away with the wisdom of the world. Times are constantly changing, but this book is constant. This book remains the same. So here's a question. Anybody that's listening, anybody that might hear this afterwards, anybody here? Here's the question. What has God said to you this week? What has God said to, through this book? What has God said to you this week? Now think about it. And if you can't answer that question, it's time to ramp it up a little bit. If God has not spoken to you through this book this week, it's time to get a relationship with that book. And I don't say that in, a condemn, in any kind of condemnation or judgment. It's just the fact of the matter. We need to be in the Bible. We need to be in the Word of the Lord. We need to hear from God regularly. God, speak to me. And it's not just about what I can communicate over the pulpit. What I do, I feel like is important as a pastor. I have a responsibility, and it's my job to study, and it's my job to teach and all that. But it's also important for every child of God to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes through prayer. That comes through regular time in the Word of the Lord. So what's God saying to you? Tomorrow morning, pick up your Bible, read, read a passage, read a chapter. Ask, read until God speaks to you through it. Ask God, God, speak to me. Say something to me through this. Sometimes, sometimes we might need to write it down. Sometimes we might need to open a little journal or a book and just write it down what God said to you that day. It's important. It's important. I'm talking about retaining the word. I'm not just talking about a, a passing fancy. I'm not just talking about a, a happy feeling here today. I'm talking about important things. Amen. We need a relationship with the Lord. Amen. God, speak to us through your word. And don't let it just be, Lord, just a one-day deal, but transform my life through it. People hear the word of the Lord, and sometimes the enemy comes in and snatches it away. Sometimes people hear the word, and then they get so busy, the thorns crop up and choke it out of their life. I would say that there were probably people here on Sunday that heard preaching. That because they've been so busy this week, they have it's already been choked out of their life. That's what Jesus said happens. He said the thorn or the the um, uh, the thorns grow up and it chokes out the word. Sometimes there's there's shallowness there. Sometimes there's hard heartedness. But the goal is God. Let my heart be fallow ground. Let it be tilled so that when that seed falls into it, it really makes a difference. And you know what's amazing to me sometimes is, is different people in a congregation, they can hear the same word and different people hear different things. You know what I'm saying? Like, like somebody on this side would hear something different, but it, it really has to do with where they're at in life and the condition of their heart. And that God speaks to people when their heart is open and that, that ground is fallow. They, they hear God speak to them right where they're at. And, and sometimes people have come up to me and other preachers and they say, you know, you know, God spoke to me when you said this. Or, you know, God spoke to me through your message. And, and sometimes it's things you don't even remember saying in a message. But that's really the word. That's the power of God's word. It's really not anything to do with the preacher or what the preacher saying but God speaking through His Word. 
It's alive. It's a sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. God knows where we're at. Amen. So we have to retain the word. The word has to have a place in our life. Amen. Give more earnest heed. Hebrews 2.1. We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. So number one, a follower of Jesus Christ, they remain in the word of the Lord. And then John 13 and 34. Flip over here with me, John 13, 34. And Jesus again is speaking and he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love one to another. Love is a, it's a strong theme in what, in John's writings. John the Apostle, he wrote, of course, this book. And then John wrote, um, John wrote uh, the book of Revelation. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. But in those books, you see a strong emphasis on, on love. And he records this about uh, these words of Jesus, a new commandment that you love one another. John was the disciple or the apostle who said, when he wrote about Jesus, he said, I'm the apostle whom Jesus loved. You ever read that in John's writing? I'm the apostle that Jesus loved. Um, flip over a page there in the book of John with me to chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse number 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this. that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then verse 17, John 15, 17. These things I command you, that you love one another. And so love is a mark of a child of God. A person cannot say they are a child of God if they, do not, if they do not love their brothers and their sisters. It just doesn't work that way. In fact, uh, John, the same apostle, wrote in 1 John chapter 2, help me... Uh, Connor, if I've got that in there, 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. There it is on your screen. You can see it. 1 John 2, 8. This is what John wrote. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness, even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. None occasion of stumbling. A mark of a child of God is that they love their brother. We love each other, don't we? I appreciate that about our church. I appreciate the love of our church. Um, You know, the scripture, especially King James, when when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about a... A, uh, a feeling or an emotion. When it talks about a feeling or emotion, it talks about your bowels. That's what he says there in First John chapter two. Uh, you know, whoso sees his brother in needs and doesn't open up his bowels of compassion, how dwells the love of God in him? King James and and scripture here, and because it comes from an Eastern world, uh, our Western world, we talk about the heart, we talk about our emotions, our feelings, but love. 
I would say that, that love is a choice. Love be- goes beyond a feeling. Because sometimes we don't feel, <laughs> sometimes we don't feel the best about other people, do we? Y'all give me a good nod once in a while. Sometimes people disappoint us, don't they? But love is a choice. So we love people in spite of things. We love our brother. We love our sister regardless of um, those those things. Um, Because it is a mark of a true child of God. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. The same writer goes on. John, 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brethren abideth in death. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. That's pretty strong language. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Basically, John says, if you don't love your brother, you're not going to heaven. Verse 16 Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, and here's the verse I mentioned a while ago, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So let us love in deed and in truth. Love is is active. It's tangible. Love is action-oriented. So we love God. We love people. Amen. Uh, you know, this same writer, John, uh, chapter 2, and I preached a little bit about it on Wednesday or Sunday morning, but he talks about people who love the world. And I got to thinking about that. I wonder if sometimes people don't, people who don't love their neighbor or love their brother and love their sister, I wonder if sometimes people struggle with loving God and loving other people because they have a love for the world. Uh, maybe sometimes people get too self-centered. Maybe sometimes people become too selfish, and they begin to complain. They begin to get offended. And you know, people who love their brothers and their sisters—they don't gossip about them. They don't talk bad about them. And you know what? You know what the worst kind of witness to the, our, our community would be? If somebody, if a guest or a visitor walked into this church, and there was a bunch of bickering and complaining, and fussy people. Bunch of people with sour attitudes and sour spirits. But I thank God for our church. One of the greatest statements we can make is to our community is the love that is in this place. God is love. If God is in us, get this, if God's in us, then love should be a part of our DNA. Amen? Should be a part of us. Um, I saw my brother, my younger brother, for a couple hours yesterday. He lives in Colorado, but he was in town. And so I saw my brother... His daughter was with him, and uh, Hannah is her name. But uh, I, I don't. Do you know how old Hannah is? Is she fifteen, maybe fourteen, fifteen? I don't know. She's about as tall as I am. My niece, and Donnie, my brother, he's he's about probably four or five inches taller than I am. Um, but I was I was looking at Hannah yesterday, and I thought she looks so much like Donnie when Donnie was younger. And uh, if you look at Donnie and his daughter, they just, they just resemble so much, especially when Donnie was younger, um, and big long eyelashes and just, you know, but, but that's because Hannah has a connection with Donnie's DNA, there's a connection there, 
So if we have a connection with the Lord, when the Lord is in us, we start reflecting the Lord. God is love. We, we want to grow up like our Father. We want to be like our Father. Amen. One more here, and then I'll wrap up. Uh, John chapter 15 and verse number 8. John 15 and 8. Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. And a mark of a child of God is that they are bearing fruit. They are fruit bearing. Uh, verse 16 of the same chapter says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Fruit, when a tree produces fruit or a bush produces fruit, that's productivity. That's progress. A tree that doesn't produce any fruit is not making progress. A, a bush that's not, you know, uh, if a... I was trying to think of what that, there was some bush or some tree that takes two or three years to even produce a flower. Wisteria, you know, uh, but eventually it'll bring on those, those flowers or those blooms or whatever. I'm not a flower guy. I don't know much about them. But, but the idea is that your tomatoes would produce, tomato plants would produce tomatoes and that your, you know, your corn would produce corn and so on and so forth. The idea for a child of God is that we are producing fruit fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that comes from uh, having God's Spirit dwelling in us, fruit indicates that things are not staying the same. Fruit indicates that we're not stagnant spiritually. And growing fruit, I understand growing fruit takes time. It's a process, and it doesn't happen instantaneously. And sometimes people get the Holy Ghost, and it takes a while for that fruit to start coming on. Sometimes people are pretty rough around the edges for quite a period of time, even after they come in the church but eventually that fruit starts growing in their life. They start producing the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness, faith and meekness and temperance. Those, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Listed there in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. If a person receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they never start, they never learn to love, they never find peace, they never learn to be a peacemaker, they never learn to be faithful. They're lacking fruit. They're lacking that evidence that they are truly walking and living in the Spirit. People are either carnal or they're spiritual. They either have a carnal mind or they have a spiritual mind. Paul said if we're in the flesh, we cannot please God. So I want to be in the Spirit today. Um, turn, turn with me to, real quick to Romans chapter 6, verse 20. And... Uh, Connor, I don't think I put those verses in there. These verses came to me afterwards. Romans chapter 6, verse 20. This is what Paul wrote to the church. He said, For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. I want, this, I want this just to sink in here for a minute. He said, when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. You were free from um, 
that lifestyle. You were free from that consecration. Um, I heard or read something that Brother Enzi had said some time ago. Brother Enzi talked about how easy it is for people to backslide. It's easy to backslide because you give up your consecrations. It's, there's no dedication. That's why it's easy for people to walk away from the Lord, in a sense. But Paul says, when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. And then look at verse 21. What fruit had you then in those things which you are now ashamed? What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, you became servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And so... Uh, And then he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the point is, is that whenever we submit ourselves, we give ourselves to the Lord, there there begins to be a fruit in our life. And it's a fruit unto holiness. It's a fruit unto righteousness. When we are in the world, he said, when we were servants of sin, we had a different kind of fruit in our life. We yielded ourselves to uncleanness. We yielded ourselves to sin and iniquity. But as a child of God, we have yielded ourselves to righteousness and fruit unto holiness. And the end, the ultimate fruit, is everlasting life. Praise the Lord. But a child of God is going to produce fruit. It's going to be a mark on their life. It's going to be a defining factor. They're going to know, they're going to know you're for the real, the real deal. It's not just going to be because we say it or we act like it or we, we can speak the religious ease or we can... We can put on the good facade. It's going to be the real deal. Because we love people. And we're producing fruit in our life. Because, because uh, it, it shows up in the lifestyle. And, and we're, we have a relationship with the word of the Lord. And God changes our life and transforms us through his word. Second Peter 3.18 says, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and knowledge. It's never the will of God for his people to remain stagnant. It's never the will of God for us to go back. God wants us to move forward. God wants us to grow. God wants us to expand in our relationship and our walk with him. But a good tree, Luke 6, 43, a good tree does not produce corrupt fruit. And a corrupt tree does not produce good fruit. Every tree is known by its fruit. And so it's our... It's our ability to retain the word of the Lord. It's our ability to walk in the spirit, to live in the, by the spirit, loving people, bearing fruit. I want to be real today. The last thing I want to be is a fraud. I want to be genuine. Um, because I'll tell you what, if, if I'm a fake, eventually people are going to realize it. People are going to know it. Um, but I want to be his disciple. I want to be sold out. I want to be the real deal. Amen. I don't want to just play church. I don't want to just act like I'm a part of the church. I want to be his disciple. Because I know that there's coming a day, and, and I'll, just, I'll just be transparent with you, it, it, it really makes me pray even all the more in, intense or harder these days to know that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord. There's not going to be any more faking it. You, re- you really can't just pass it over on the Lord. We'll, we'll stand before the Lord, and, and, and the Lord will he'll judge us. Are you really a disciple? Are you really a follower? Are you just a churchgoer? 
Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please. Praise the Lord. You want to be real today? Why don't we we lift our hands to the Lord for a moment here and pray? Amen. If you're watching online, pray with us right now. Jesus, we look to you right now, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your promises. But God, it's our desire and it's our hunger that, Lord, we would be nearer and closer to you than we've ever been. Lord, you see every aspect of us, our whole heart, mind, Lord, our soul, our sp- everything, oh God, is open and exposed to you. But Lord, help us, Lord, to be, Lord, what you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, to be your child, your disciple, your follower. God, help us to follow hard after you. God, I pray your help. I pray, Lord, as we're challenged and we face.